Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. First off, I'd like to recommend our new pop-up podcast called the O'Reilly Bots Podcast, which you can find on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud. On today's episode, I sat down with Rana El Kalubi, CEO of Affectiva and one of the leading experts in emotion sensing systems. We talked about the impact of deep learning and computer vision and the types of research she does, Affectiva's large facial expression database, and privacy and ethics in an era of multimodal systems. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Rana El Kalubi, CEO of Affectiva, welcome to the data show. Hi, Ben. Thank you for having me. So by way of introduction, I think uh, many of our audience already uh, are familiar with you because you've spoken at Strata, keynoted even. Um, but let's talk a little bit about your background. So uh, what did you study in school? So my background is computer science. As an undergraduate, I uh, studied computer science at the American University in Cairo and really was fascinated by how technology changes the way humans connect with each other. And so I ended up studying a lot of HCI and neural networks and went off to do um, postgraduate studies at Cambridge universities where, you know, where my PhD was, was in computer vision and machine learning. And I built a, a system to read your emotions through your facial expressions. From then I joined MIT Media Lab as a postdoc with uh, Professor Rosalind Picard, where we were um, particularly focused on the applications of emotional computing and affective computing um, in mental health disorders. And then spun out Affectiva a few years ago as a co-founder and now a chief executive officer. So someone who goes to uh, graduate school usually wants to become an academic or a professor. Was that never in the cards for you? That was my big plan, <laughs> actually. Um, so my plan was to go do a PhD abroad um, and then get back to teaching at the American University in Cairo. And I, I love teaching, but... Um, and I love doing research as well. Um, the tipping point for me for starting a company was, um, you know, often you spent many, many years building something innovative in research, but it never actually sees the market and it never actually gets used by people at scale. And, and so when the opportunity came along to start a company, I was particularly intrigued by the possibility of taking something I've built and believe so passionately in and, you know, bring it to the market and see people use it on a day-to-day -day basis and change how they interact, you know, in their businesses or as consumers using our technology. So I think of Affectiva as being in this uh, bucket, I don't know what to call it, is it is the right level, emotion sensing technologies? Yeah, we've branded it emotion artificial intelligence. So if you think as humans having multiple intelligences, one obviously is your IQ, and then one that is equally important, if not more, is your EQ. We are the, you know, we're building the digital equivalent of human emotional intelligence or human EQ. So why is uh, EQ important uh, for technology? Yeah, so let's start with why it's important for humans, because I, I do think there's a lot of analogy. So our emotions influence you know, every aspect of our lives from how we um, connect with each other, our health and well-being, how we make decisions. It could be a very simple decision like what you're having for breakfast and that's influenced by your emotional state to very big decisions like, you know, what house are you going to buy or who you're going to marry. 
And people who have high EQ, who are able to translate, you know, these emotion reading and emotion sensing skills into their day-to-day behavior tend to be more likable as human beings. They tend to be more successful in their professional lives and they actually tend to be healthier and they live longer and happier lives in general. And so as more and more of our world migrates online and becomes digital and as we become more intimate with our devices, we're interacting and we're spending a lot of time interacting with, with these technologies and a big piece of it is, is is having emotional intelligence. So if we expect our devices to persuade us to change behavior, like exercise more or, you know, be lead a healthier, more productive lifestyle, then these devices and these digital experiences and apps really need to know you and really need to know, you know, how to persuade you and how to motivate you. And that all boils down to having emotional intelligence. It's interesting because, uh, uh, just coming back from Strata Beijing, one of our keynote speakers was Chi Lu, who is uh, uh, executive vice president of Microsoft, runs huge chunks of Microsoft. He's become in- interested in AI. And mm-hmm. he was telling me that actually, you know, even you look at something like a chatbot, mm-hmm. if, if it doesn't have any kind of emotional intelligence, it's not very engaging, right? So in, the example he points out is... Uh, Imagine if a chatbot can only answer questions like, you know, whatever, uh, get, uh, I want a pair of shoes that are size nine, you know, very dry, as opposed to a chatbot that can really engage you in a conversation about what you want and what you need. So their belief is that uh, even at that level of the interface, uh, these technologies have to have some emotional aspect. You know what is fascinating with chatbots, too? Is that if you look at, uh, we've been looking at the transcripts of, uh, of some, of how, you know, how consumers engage with these chatbots. And often consumers want to build these relationships with these chatbots. And they want, you know, we've seen transcripts where uh, a, a consumer will say, you know what, I, I, I got, you know, heavily abused today and I don't know what to do. Or, you know, I, I have a chemotherapy session coming up in a little bit. Wish me luck. And people know that this is a chatbot, but they, they're seeking this kind of deeper relationship. So I totally agree that, um, you know, the interfaces of the future need to have these perceptual abilities because we have this expectation that, you know, they're smart. So they need to be smart functionally and also smart emotionally. So there's a, a very popular chatbot of Microsoft in China called Shawais, uh, uh. which I guess is like the, either the fourth most popular celebrity account on Weibo, which is their Twitter. And, uh, and people, I guess, engage this chatbot in lo- very long conversations, and uh, and they've given it actually uh, a personality. It's a it huh. started out as a fifteen year old teenage girl, and now it's now seventeen years old. <laughs> My goodness, that's an isn't that fascinating? Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, so for your technology, which is mostly around the computer vision and in particular facial expressions. What are the current applications? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so a little bit on, on, on our technology. So we essentially leverage the ubiquity of webcams across the world and across devices to um, capture your facial expressions. And then we map those expressions into a number of emotional states. And um, it you know, uses a computer vision deep learning framework at the back end of it to train all, you know, to leverage all the data we collect and it uses it to train across culture and across gender. And the use cases 
um, are varied. So the first use case where we ha- we've been able to show a lot of value is in the media and advertising space. So say you're you're you know you're a big brand, you're say Coca Cola, and you're um, about to launch um, a marketing campaign, and you've spent millions of dollars building this content, and you're going to probably spend millions and millions of dollars marketing this um, content, um, you know, online and on and on TV. And you want to know, does it engage the consumer? Does it move the consumer? Does, you know, do viewers really enjoy watching this ad? Are they going to want to watch it again? Are they going to share it, you know, with their friends? Is it going to go viral? Um, is it going to lead them to actually purchasing the product? And so what we do is we test these ads and we do this across the world. We've, um, you know, we work with a third of the Fortune Global 100 companies. We are in 75 countries through our partners and we've collected and analyzed about 5 million Um, you know, consumer responses, if you like. Um, So we've done a lot of this work across the world and we essentially test your moment by moment response. So you're watching an ad and we can see every time you smirk or you raise your eyebrows or you laugh and we aggregate that over hundreds of people who watch the same ad and then we're able to, you know, offer insights on, okay, this part was really boring or this was quite offensive. Um, And the, you know, the content creators can iterate and adjust the content before going live with it. You know, as you're describing your technology, it occurred to me, I don't know if this is possible at all or if you folks have thought about it, but uh, you know how in on the web now, people measure time on page, like when they're reading mm-hmm. text? Mm-hmm. What Would your technology be able to discern as I'm reading a long article, if I'm happy, I'm not, I'm, I'm engaged or whatever? Yes, it can. Um, you would have to marry it with an eye tracking tool because we don't, you know, in, when you're watching an ad, it doesn't necessarily matter which pixel you're looking at. When you're reading an article, perhaps you want the level of detail to understand where on the page you're looking. Um, but assuming that problem is solved, absolutely, we would we would tell you which, you know, which parts of a story really engaged people. And, you know, engagement leads to memory and leads to sharing. So it, it is actually very important information that you want to collect and understand because, because it's an indicator, it's a leading indicator for behavior. And we see that in the context of sharing media in the advertising world, but also like whether you would complete a course in an online MOOC. Um, so so uh, the, uh, the basis for your, uh, for your technology, is, as I understand it, is two things. One is the advances in deep learning and computer vision. Mm-hmm. And then there's this other piece that has to do with, is it a branch of psychology which broke down these facial expressions into action units? Yeah, so the, the core science is, is built on the facial action coding system, which, um, you know, in, in the 70s, um, Professor Paul Ekman and his team, he published the facial action coding system, which is a method for mapping all your different facial muscles um, to an observed expression. So I'll give you an example. Action unit 12 is the zygomatics. So, so that's what you, you know, it's a lip corner pull. It's what you do when you smile. You can try it. Um, AU4 is the corrugator muscle. It's the brow furrower. And, and so essentially there's about 45 of these different action units. And um, as a certified fax coder or face reader, you have to go through 100 hours of training. You pass a test and then you start coding videos and it takes you about maybe five minutes to code a minute of video so it's very laborious very expensive not scalable at all and what we've done is we've used computer vision and you know and machine learning and tons of data 
to automate the, face, the facial action coding system. You know, this facial action coding system, now that I think about it, uh, I did investigate this years ago for uh, an unnamed defense and intelligence consulting project. Uh-huh. Uh, I, think at that, I think at that time there was this notion that you can take these ideas and use it for lie detection. I don't think they, those actually panned out, right? I mean, you can use, again, the, the facial action coding system is a very objective way of scoring facial expressions. So when people are lying, we, we tend to see, you know, these micro expressions slip um, and it could be, you know, an eye twitch or, um, uh, yeah, very fleeting expressions, which we can, of course, detect. Um, so there, you know, there is an application of this technology in lie detection. Um, at Affectiva, we've stayed away from from this type of application, we believe strongly that our technology is kind of a bridge. It, you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding between people because they don't really truly understand each other's social and emotional states. And we want to be the bridge that that you know that closes that gap and creates more empathy. And so I think there's a lot more use cases of this technology where people want to share their emotions and they do give us consent. Um, and that's what we're focused on. So one of the things that uh you folks at Affectiva have been able to do is assemble this massive database of labeled mm-hmm. data, right? Which cuts across, apparently yep. cuts across uh, country, gender, ethnicity. So tell us a little more yep. about your uh, database. Sure. So so that database is collected through um, all the work we do with partners across the world. And a lot of it is people watching online content. We've now expanded into gaming. So we have gamer, you know, game play tests. So, you know, people um, playing games and we capture their emotion responses as they do that. Um, we're increasingly getting into areas like automotive and healthcare. So it's a it's a very um, wide number of use cases and it is cross-cultural. So we have data from all over the world, which has allowed us to dig deeper into, you know, the say the cross-cultural differences in how people express emotion. Um, facial expressions are by and large pretty universal, but then we have those cultural display rules that depict when is it appropriate to share an emotion? When do you mask your emotion? When do you dampen it? And that varies by culture. So in Japan, for example, where we do um, a lot of work, and, and we're, ex, you know, we're expanding our presence in Asia, specifically in Japan. Um, people don't tend to show their expressions in the presence of strangers. They will totally do that in the presence of friends and family, but they will mask or dampen their emotions in the presence of strangers. So that's allowed us to, or that's caused us really to build benchmarks that are specific to um, different populations and ethnicity groups. We also see that, you know, Brazilians are way more expressive than Chinese, for instance. And, and again, we're able to use our, den- our benchmarks to evaluate responses by a specific region. Uh, women are more expressive than men. I don't think that that's super surprising. <laughs> um, what is surprising, though, is that that also depends on culture. So in the U.S., we see a big difference between men and women. We don't quite see that in the U.K., and we don't quite see that in China. We don't really know why yet but it's fascinating mm-hmm. so how so how does it work so i have uh, let's say i'm using affectiva i my webcam is on so it's tracking my facial expressions where is the computation happening is it in, on the cloud we have two versions so and by the way you can um, download an app called Me, which is basically a fun app that shows 
you know, that shows the technology and it doesn't record any data. It's, you know, it'll just show your expressions live and it'll read about 20 different facial expressions. It'll also map those to eight different emotional states. It has emojis so you can blow, blow a kiss and it'll recognize that or stick your tongue out. It'll also recognize that. Um, and it, and it does age, ethnicity and gender as well. And, um, but anyways, that's kind of, that's a toy app that just demonstrates how the technology works. On the back end of it, we have two versions. We have a cloud-based, what we call emotion as a service. So you send a video stream in, you get the emotion analytics out. Um, but we also have our SDKs, um, w- which run on device. So the data does not leave the device. All the processing happens, um, you know, on the device, like your mobile phone and, um, no image leaves the device or gets stored, which we think is very important for privacy reasons. So it's it, so. To what extent does Affectiva benefit from the recent progress in deep learning and computer vision? I, I would suspect that uh, without without those developments, it would be hard to to get the accuracy you're getting now. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I think it's the progress on the deep learning front, um, but it's also the ability to collect this data at scale. So it's the marriage of the two, I'd say. Because, um, you know, uh, some of the deep learning frameworks and neural nets have been a- around for many years, but it's it's the ability to leverage the, the sheer amount of data that's out there. So yeah. what, uh, what are people working on now in terms of just emotion mm-hmm. and AI? Yeah, I would. I I like to kind of give an analogy that where our AI, our emotion AI system is really like a toddler right now in terms of its capabilities. So it can read, you know, a bunch of emotional states. It can read expressions pretty accurately. Um, but for example, areas where we're, you know, we're spending a lot of our research efforts and and I see the world moving in that direction is moving from the simpler emotions to some of the more complex emotions. So what do you look like when you're worried or inspired or jealous? You know, some of the, these more complex emotional states, I don't think anybody's built a robust model of that. Um, we're looking into um, health-related states, um, so longitudinal mood tracking or um, pain. You know, what does pain look like on the face? What does depression look like? And then I'd say the other frontier, um, next frontier, if you like, is multimodal. So, so combining, you know, physiological tracking with face track, you know, face facial coding um, and emotion analytics, and and maybe even voice combining, you know, the tone of your voice with with your facial expressions. But to some extent, well, I guess to a large extent, uh, you are able to do what you're doing because there was that underlying science of the uh, action mm-hmm. units on on the face side is there such an analogy on the voice side that is an awesome question it turns out there isn't quite one not in the same way so w- what we're seeing in academia is that people tend to build their own taxonomy um and yeah so that's going to be an area where maybe again deep learning and unsupervised learning could could provide pointers into what this taxonomy could look like because you could start clustering responses um, based on the underlying data. So you hinted at two other applications. So it's it seems like just like any other technology, the start the initial business model is marketing and advertising, but then huh? but then it starts expanding from there. So you hinted at two other ones. One was driving and then the other is health. So mm-hmm. can you elaborate on those two? Absolutely. So driving is very interesting. Um, the whole, you know, um, 
you know, autonomous driving, autonomous vehicles space is, uh, is, is really being disrupted. Um, and we're seeing interest from the big players, but also new players. Um, and there, the idea is you have a sensing platform. The sensing platform contains an array of cameras. Some of them point outwards, and but some of them point inwards. And the idea is that they're measuring the response of the passengers. They're understanding their emotional state. The concept of the car is morphing more towards an infotainment center. So it's conversational. It's providing you with information as you're driving. It is maybe even targeting and personalizing content for you and other passengers in the car. So understanding the state of the passengers is going to be very important. Of course, the usual application of drowsy driver detection and distracted driving, which is becoming a, a big problem. Um, so that's in there as well. Um, so, so that's on the side. Yeah, yeah, on the health side, you actually, you originally started your academic research helping people with autism, right? That's right. Um, so my, my research was, was inspired by um, work being done at Cambridge University at the Autism Research Center, where they had built a taxonomy of data to help autistic kids read emotions, which is something they really struggle with. And I took that same database and used it to train my algorithms. And then I realized, okay, so now we've built this system. Why not reuse it and apply it back to help you know individuals on the autism spectrum? And that was the first project I worked at worked on at MIT Media Lab. Um, in collaboration with uh, the Grodin Center, which is a school for autistic uh, individuals. And, and now we're partnered with a company called BrainPower that's essentially taking the same idea and commercializing it. And they're using Google Glass. They're integrating our technology within Google Glass. And then they, they develop these very interactive games that help kids on the spectrum make eye contact and, and elicit and understand different expressions. So that's one health application. Is there any other ones that stand out? Yeah, I'm I'm very passionate about the applications in uh, around mental health and specifically depression. Um, it turns out there are soft biomarkers um, of depression on, on people's faces and voices. So if you're depressed, you're more likely to have very dampened facial expressions. Your eyelids become droopy. We see a lot more head tilting. Um, and just, you know, just let, you know, the facial expressions lag are just slower and, 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 and heavier, if you like. And so I really am interested in digital apps that can sense your baseline, learn your baseline, and then predict when you deviate from that baseline. And it doesn't have to diagnose depression, but it can certainly act as a red flag or a warning and get, you know, get, get, you know, let you know, but also maybe get you some help. And so, um, is the idea, so how would you track people, um, enough so that you can detect when their mm -hmm. moods are changing? Yeah. And we have a number of thoughts around that. So one, you know, one is to integrate with, uh, with, uh, with some of the platforms or the apps that are used a lot, right? So, I mean, an extreme, an extreme case would be Facebook, right? right so right, people right. are on Facebook a lot. And, and if you're able to use, use a platform like that to build a baseline, that would be interesting. Um, short of that, um, people check their phones about 15 times an hour. That's a lot of times. And right. if you can build that into a passive tracking capability, like, you know, the camera could be running on the, in the background, which it does on some devices, actually. Um, every time you check your phone, that's an opportunity to take a, a, a temperature check of your, of your mood. And then you build a baseline and, and, and you go from there. So, Rana, is this uh, also an example where uh, more data... Uh, uh, more data is better. In other words, uh, if you look at Affectiva 
like a few years ago to where you are now, now you have a lot more data. So is it the case mm -hmm. that you're a lot more accurate? Oh, yes. Yeah, when we first started, I mean, we had, yeah, we had a tiny data set. And um, w with that data set, we were able to detect, I'd call them like the obvious facial expressions, like a smile or an eyebrow raise or a brow furrow. And then with over time, we started collecting a lot more data. And that data was very nuanced. So it's all spontaneous. So it's all people emoting from their homes or, you know, with their friends. It's, it's a very natural data set, which is critical. Um, and what we started seeing is, you know, oh, the lip pucker is a very common facial expression. I call it like the Kardashian face. <laughs> um, and, and then a lip purse or, you know, an eye squint. And as we started observing more and more of these expressions, we were able to leverage it and, and build classifiers or detectors that are specifically targeted at these expressions. And we would not have been able to do that um, without the data. And also, uh, for the listeners out there, just to clarify, my understanding is that the labeled data that uh, Rada is uh, referring to is being constructed by people who are certified in, these, uh, in identifying these action units. In other words, this is not Amazon mechanical terms. Correct. Yeah, and, and again, for some of the simpler expressions, like maybe a smile or whether a face is present or not, MTurk is fine. Um, and, and in fact, we require that every single one of our labeled examples, we, we need to have five labelers look at it, and then it's a majority, like we have to find majority agreement. Um, I see. So, yeah. so here's a term that surfaced a few years ago, but now I think makes a lot more sense in the age of uh, emotion, emotion sensing technologies, uh, attention economy. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like now that uh, we have the capability to actually figure out the level of engagement using technologies like Affectiva, this term becomes much more uh, realistic. Absolutely. And, and I would even say it's more of an emotion economy. And we see that across the board. So wh whichever company we engage with, their ultimate goal is to build an emotional connection with their consumer. And they want that because that drives usage, it drives loyalty, it, dri it drives word of mouth, it drives trust. And they want to do that with their products. They want to do that with their advertising. They want to do that with the user experience. So when you check into a hotel, they want to, you know, they want to be able to quantify, you know, did they engage with you in a positive way? Was it, was it, you, you know, did they build that deep connection? Because, you know, as consumers now, we have a lot of options. And I, I think we're way more in control of, it's, it's not a, like the brands and the products aren't about the functional I mean, part of it is obviously functional, but a big part of it is about that brand and that connection with the brand. Um, so we see that across the board. And I, I do think that being able to accurately measure it and quantify it, but also elicit it is key. And, and our technology you know, plays on both sides of that. All right. So with the introduction of new technology, I think users are always concerned about privacy, mm -hmm. uh, ethics and transparency. So uh, one of the most popular pieces of swag that we give out actually <laughs> is this uh, sticker that you use to that you put on your laptop that you can slide over and cover your webcam. So, wh what oh what God. are your what, what are your thoughts on privacy and ethics in the age of uh, technologies like Affectiva? I would say we take it very seriously. So, um, it is one of our core values at Affectiva, and we recognize that emotions are very personal. And to, to be successful as a company, we have to build that trust. People have to trust in sharing 
that kind of experience and that kind of data with us, which has meant a few things. It's meant that everything we do is, an, is in, on an opt-in basis. So we're always, always clear that the camera's turning on. It's also meant that we've veered away from applications where we, where we know that consent is not being collected. For example, surveillance and security. So we've stayed away from these use cases, even though they're probably quite lucrative. Um, and then the third is we are very big on transparency and we talk a lot about how our technology works. Our science team routinely publishes in journals and uh, they're in conferences. And we want to, you know, we want to be clear about what the technology can do, but also what it can't do. And I, I think educating the public about these different, you know, how the technology works and the different use cases is, is really critical. And then I'd say, finally, it's about creating value. So, you know, you look at what people do on Snapchat and, and other social platforms, and they're sharing a lot of their personal uh, data, including their faces, right? But they're getting some value in return. So I, I think we need to find the right value equation where people are motivated to turn the camera on because they're getting some awesome data or some awesome experience in return. Yeah, so if, if, if it uh, provides something so personalized that, uh, yep. that services improve, I think, uh, I think consumers... Well, put up with that, just like they put up with cookies, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's even like, you know, we talked about smarter chatbots or more relational chatbots. If the if you say, you know, if you turn the camera on, the chatbot's going to be able to really respond to you. So when, when it says something and you laugh, it says, oh, my goodness, that was funny, wasn't it? Like things like that. I think, you know, social robots, that's another use case where... Um, you know, the presence of a camera makes a ton of sense. And, and I think it just fits into the use case and consumers accept it. So is you, uh, since uh, you've been in this kind of emotion detection space for a long time, are you, are you starting to see practitioners and people in the industry kind of starting to discuss these issues of ethics? I would say the discussion of ethics has always been around. What What's changed over the past, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years now. What's changed is, is the understanding of the value that this type of data and technology can bring to the table. I think when we first started, people were like, oh, emotion recognition, like, why would you even use that? And, you know, that was back in the day when our cameras were big and rounded and, you know, they were slow and, you know, and now it's integrated everywhere. And now and it's people, real. Right. And people, you, I mean, people turn their cameras on all the time. And, and so I think, you know, what's norm, what's normal for how do I say this? Like what's normal for, for us as a society and, and, and how we interact with technology has changed over the past 15 years. We're now a lot more comfortable with the presence of cameras. So that's helped. And people generally understand that emotions are critical, you know, as evidenced by Inside Out, the Disney Pixar movie. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the, the conversation now is more about how do I really integrate this technology into what I'm doing and how do I create insights and what does that look like as opposed to like, why do I do that? Right, right, right. Oh, by the way, so uh, we're about to end here, but I did forget one question, which is uh, the demos that I've seen of affective uh, technology seems to be when uh, the, the user is kind of face fronting the camera right so in other words uh, uh, front on view so do you yep. think do you think we'll uh, get to the point where you can start looking at cctv and, and detecting detecting uh, emotion i think i think it's 
pr- probably doable. Like we, we, we're now um, focusing our attention to multi-phase detection. So, you know, measuring the mood of a crowd. But again, I think when deploying this technology, it's going to be very important that people know right. that, you know, that, they are, that, that the data, you know, is being collected that way. So that technology isn't quite uh, there yet. Not quite there yet. No. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been great. Thank you, Rana. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You can follow Rana on Twitter at K-A-L-I-O-U-B-Y. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode.